0: Hello, Mark Joseph Stern.
1: Hi, what a day, huh?
0: Mark covers the Supreme Court for Slate.
1: How are your notifications doing? I had to shut them all off. I did that new focus mode, you know, on my phone, because (laughs) otherwise it would have actually exploded into flames. I called
0: Mark up because yesterday... We learned Justice Stephen Breyer was going to do something many progressives had been anxiously pushing him to do for a year. Retire. It's traditional for justices to announce these kind of moves in the summer after they've worked through their annual docket. It just cuts down on the awkward lame duck phase. So even though Breyer is 83 years old, the most senior justice by far, this was a January surprise for a lot of reporters. Not Mark, though.
1: Look, I will say, not to give myself too much credit, I predicted a a little while ago that Breyer would not step down during the first summer of Biden's presidency and would step down during the second. Why'd you predict that? He has such a romantic view of the court. He believes that it is a genuinely independent, nonpartisan institution. And I think he would have um, felt like it, it was a little partisan, a little unsavory for him to just suddenly retire because there was a Democrat in the White House.
0: And yet, having a Democrat in the White House certainly factored into Justice Breyer's decision here. He's a reliable liberal who's watched the GOP fill the bench with one deeply conservative justice after another. To the point that now his simple and logical choice to retire 30-odd years after becoming eligible to join the AARP is headline news.
1: Well, it's it's funny because... It's only really a big deal in light of the last few years of uh, tumult with regard to Supreme Court confirmations, right? Um, When Breyer joined the court, it was a a very simple sort of like important but not massive story. So it was like a, a liberal for a liberal, not a huge event. He was overwhelmingly confirmed. How times have changed. Over the last 27 years, because now we have Breyer announcing his retirement or we have reports that Breyer will announce his retirement. And it is the number one story in the nation and probably will be for some time because every single confirmation at the at the Supreme Court is now a a life or death struggle for the future of the nation and the Constitution, like an apocalyptic battle. Both parties have realized that, you know, every vote on that court is incredibly important because it holds way more power than any other branch of government could even dream of.
0: Today on the show, a vacancy on the high court might not mean a shift in the balance of power for the Supremes, but their inter-office politics are about to get a lot more interesting. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When Justice Breyer announced his retirement, I realized I don't actually know that much about him, like what he's like, especially how he performs jurisprudence on the court. Breyer has this staid reputation as a moderate liberal. But Mark Joseph Stern says the guy's kind of fascinating to watch.
1: He often sits forward and cradles his head in his hands in a way that makes it look like he is experiencing intense mental agony or anguish. He furrows his brow and then he sort of like leaps back in his chair, Muppet-like, with this burst of energy and totally changes his tone and starts gesticulating and raising his hands. And it looks like he's going to accidentally punch Clarence Thomas next to him and he gets really 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 excited and then he winds down his question again and then he gets smaller and he centers himself more in his chair and he gets closer to the microphone and his eyes narrow and he finishes his question and he's been talking for so long that no one in the room has any idea what he asked (laughs) that is briar to me i guess this is why the ap
0: describes him as having the air of an absent-minded professor
1: i mean he is my dad my dad is also a law professor. Like the, the the similarities between Breyer and my dad, they are shocking. Mm. Breyer asks questions and engages with the world like a teacher, like someone who's either imparting or absorbing knowledge. And I think that can be really, really charming. But when you are stuck in a bottle of scorpions on the Supreme Court, it is not the most effective way to navigate towards your preferred goals.
0: Let's talk about who Justice Breyer has been on the court. He has served for nearly three decades now. Talk to me about when he was confirmed. His confirmation was kind of easy breezy, like it's 1994, President Clinton's running the show. There just wasn't as much drama as we seem to be girding ourselves for right now.
1: Yeah, and I was watching MSNBC, and they were showing this B-roll of Breyer, like, jogging with Bill Clinton in 1994. <laughs> That's what, what they did together to, yeah, to uh, ensure he would sail through the Senate. Like, he's just a regular guy. He's just Steve. Just master the judiciary or the executive? No, oh, no, he's much <laughs> The judiciary lasts longer. That's not... <laughs> He was sort of presented to the world as he is, a moderate professor type who specializes in this kind of complicated area of the law that until recently was not super duper controversial. He was very even keeled, had a very likable demeanor and pleasant affect.
0: Republican Orrin Hatch recommended him, right?
1: Yes, yes. I mean, Orrin Hatch was at the time sort of like the judge whisperer for Democratic presidents because he would sort of like flick his hand in one direction and say, this judge can get through and flick his hand in the other direction and say, this judge can't. And with Breyer, he was all in. He was like, this is the guy for us. And I understand why, because, you know, he's a white guy with a lovely family, with impeccable uh, academic background and expertise. And he was not the Kind of bomb throwing radical or even like, you know, controversial activist who is going to cause a real stir. And uh, so, of course, with Hatch's approval, he really made it through the Senate super quickly and easily. And if you watch those hearings, they sort of feel like a joke compared to the crucible that nominees have to go through today. Why? It's just sort of chummy. Chummy, affable. I mean, look, Republicans, you can watch this on C-SPAN. Like, Republicans do pose these kind of tough questions. But it's almost like, you know, mano a mano. Like, we're sitting in the steam room in our towels, like, working out the hard stuff. Like, what do you think about this, Steve? What do you think about that? (laughs) And, And no one seriously believes that he's going to say anything to tank his chances. And no one really thinks that Republicans are doing anything more than reading whatever their staffers typed out for them to say so that they could, you know, tell their donors that they put up a fight.
0: Before he was a Supreme Court justice, Breyer had been on Ted Kennedy's staff and he had also been an antitrust professor at Harvard. And I was reading Ian Milheiser over at Vox who noted that the justices' approach to his work on the court seemed to kind of come from that technocratic background. Like it was often filled with cost-benefit analysis. And, and I wonder if that sort of approach made Justice Breyer hard to love as justice. What do you think?
1: I think that is basically right, that without the impassioned rhetoric of, say, a Sonia Sotomayor, there's not a lot to sort of cling to and believe in. With a Breyer opinion, it's all dry, pretty boring, straightforward, adheres to a very specific academic style. I I think my favorite example is his decision in Whole Woman's Health in 2016, which struck down these Texas trap laws that had shuttered a bunch of abortion clinics. Major decision. uh, Almost impossible to read start to finish because it is so damn boring, which (laughs) at the time, my colleague Dolly Lithwick pointed out, was kind of perfect because he just, you know, uh, line by line demolishes the ridiculous pretexts for these regulations that purported to protect women's health but of course we're actually just designed to shut down all of these clinics and and that's you know there's value to that I think there's value to that and there's value to justice sotomayor um, coming out with a big swing saying you are destroying women's lives in the Constitution like there's room enough for both of those approaches but briar's is much harder to love and it's just so brainy that it, There's not a lot of romance to it. And I think that a lot of us kind of expect a little bit of romance in the law these days.
0: About a year ago, Justice Breyer did an interview with Dahlia Lithwick. And he, he told her this thing that I think is so interesting. He said credit is a weapon. And when he said that, he seemed to be saying, basically, if you give someone else the credit for whatever you've just done, they might compromise with you next time. I I wonder if you could see that in his jurisprudence.
1: I can see that during the high point of Breyer's tenure, which is maybe 2000 to 2005, when he and O'Connor were really working together. To carve a path of true moderation, where I mean, it really felt like for those five years, both sides were getting substantive victories. Set aside Bush v. Gore, which is a travesty, which I think he regretted forever and was very upset about. But in terms of capital punishment, in terms of gay rights, in terms of Guantanamo and prisoners being held without due process, uh, in terms of abortion, reproductive justice, all of that stuff, he and O'Connor were working together. And I think he was very generous with the credit that he gave O'Connor and often joined decisions that she authored that maybe he didn't agree with 100%, but that he was still able to sort of um, sign on to as a gesture of goodwill, which she then returned. But the problem is that O'Connor stepped down in 2006. She was replaced by Sam Alito, and Alito did not play that game ever. And so Breyer kept searching for like a kind of soulmate like O'Connor, like another another person who would compromise and 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 do these trade-offs and bargains, and he never found it, and, and that's sort of the tragedy of the back half of his tenure.
0: Well, it's interesting, because Breyer had this point of view, which he articulated a number of times, that the best is the enemy of the good, and if you have a choice between achieving, like, 20 or 30 percent of what you want to do, or, like, be the hero, do... The first option, achieve the small step forward and, you know, don't try to force a a 100 percent win. And I think that's interesting because Breyers announced his retirement, but he's still going to be writing opinions this term, correct?
1: Yes, that's exactly right. It appears that he will not actually leave the court until like the end of the term in June or July.
0: So the horse trading is over. He can let his liberal freak flag fly if he wants to. I'm curious. (laughs) I'm curious how you think his retirement could impact his behavior in these final months.
1: So I am prepared to be totally wrong about this and eat crow down the road. And I encourage you to hold me to that. But my guess from here from right now in January is that this will not change Breyer's judging or his performance on the court, one iota. I really don't think that this will change any any aspect of his performance. I don't think he'll let his freak flag fly. I think he will be the same old Steve he's always been for these final six months.
0: So who's going to end up taking Breyer's seat? We'll look at the list of nominees when we get back. So let's talk about what happens now at the court. President Biden has promised to name a Black woman to the Supreme Court. He did this during the presidential campaign. But I was noticing that black women only constitute something like 3% of the federal judiciary. So that means the list of potential nominees, it, it may be short.
1: It's a list of three. It's really short. And I will just say briefly that this is something that Joe Biden has commendably sought to change and has already doubled the number of black women on the US Courts of Appeals and is, is just really zeroing in on increasing diversity, especially among Black women. But here, there are three potential nominees. They are Katanji Brown-Jackson of the D.C. Circuit, Leandra Kruger of the California Supreme Court, and Michelle Childs of the South Carolina District Court, who has recently been nominated to the D.C. Circuit. All three Black women, those are the front runners.
0: So let's go through the three women on this list and just explain who they are. So Judge Kintaji Brown Jackson, tell me about her.
1: She is a great judge who served on the district court here in D.C. for some time. She was first uh, put there by Barack Obama, and she handled a lot of cases involving Trump and Trump's allies and efforts to uh, keep them from testifying or revealing certain information about potential wrongdoing. And she pretty consistently sided against Trump and memorably said the president is not a king um, and took a, I think, very reasonable view of executive privilege balanced against the interests of Congress and the American people. She's now on the D.C. Circuit. One of the first things Biden did was elevate her to Merrick Garland's spot when, when Garland went to the Justice Department as Attorney General. So Jackson is in the sweet spot. Everyone agrees that the D.C. Circuit is the stepping stone. That's where Breyer was before he went to SCOTUS. That's where RBG was. That's where Clarence Thomas was. That's where John Roberts was. She is so obviously the front runner. And it feels like it's hers if she wants it.
0: I mean, you say she's ruled against Trump, but is she seen as a very political pick?
1: No, not at all. Um, because w- when you're a district court judge, you do a lot of apolitical stuff, a lot of stuff involving criminal defendants who are not not the president or his friends. And she was, I think, pretty thoroughly apolitical. And even in these decisions against Trump, she took care not to put any kind of partisan rhetoric in there. You know, she was quoting James Madison, not like Barack Obama. She did a very good job maintaining that judicial demeanor and temperament and depriving Republicans of any potential attacks against her in the future.
0: And she's young. She was born in 1970.
1: She's 51.
0: Okay, so let's talk about California Supreme Court Justice Leandra
1: Kruger. Who's she? She is, I think, a similarly brilliant jurist who, as you noted, serves on the highest court in California um, and is even younger than Ketanji Brown Jackson. She's 45. The rumor was that Biden wanted her to be solicitor general and uh, lobbied her to be solicitor general. And she said, I don't want to be solicitor general. That's the position
0: that argues in front of the Supreme Court on behalf of the government.
1: Yes, exactly. And I think implicit in that rejection was like, I want something better. And I understand why, because she has made her mark as a really super smart jurist who can both push the law leftward, but also reach compromises with the more moderate members of her court. It's a very progressive court. So, you know, we're talking about a sliding scale here. But she has been able to assert her uh, reputation as a liberal who is not a firebrand or a controversial figure like Goodwin Liu, who is another Justice on the court, whose nomination to uh, the appeals court was famously tanked under Obama because he had said some nasty things about uh, Alito and other conservatives.
0: Okay, so so we've got one more person on this list: U.S. District Judge Michelle Childs. Who is she?
1: So she is a 55-year-old judge on the U.S. District Court in South Carolina. Like Ketanji Brown-Jackson, she was first placed in the federal judiciary by Barack Obama. She is, I think, a very well-respected judge in that state. She handles a lot of cases that are not particularly controversial. But there's not a very strong tradition of moving people from the district court straight up to the Supreme Court. And I think that's a real handicap against her.
0: She is a favorite of Representative James Clyburn, though, who crucially endorsed Biden just before the South Carolina presidential primary.
1: And that is why, presumably, Biden has nominated her to the D.C. Circuit, which, again, is where Katanji Brown-Jackson currently sits. So she already has a promotion in the works. And that's another reason why it would be kind of weird to say, oh, never mind that. We're just going to uh, shoot her off straight to the Supreme Court. Not usually done like that.
0: Is it possible for Democrats to lose this seat somehow? Like, I mean, we watched what happened with Merrick Garland.
1: (laughs) So. They're Democrats. They can always mess it up. And there's always (laughs) a chance that they will. Like, they are bad at this stuff. And even though Chuck Schumer and Dick Durbin and Joe Biden have been really conscientious about getting through a diverse slate of progressive judges everything is different when it's a Supreme Court justice. And so, yes, there is a chance, for instance, that Republicans dig up something that's uh, allegedly really damaging about the the nominee and the hearings drag on and they run down the clock and then they take back the Senate and they like figure out a way to just um, extend this whole drama into 2023 and no one gets confirmed. That seems really unlikely to me, though. I I mean, this is a well-timed retirement for Joe Biden, because he's now got six months just to just to pick a name for Breyer's successor. And then the Senate has more months ahead to confirm that person. So it seems like it would be very, very difficult for Democrats to mess this up.
0: Yeah, it's useful to remember just how quickly President Trump was able to act when he wanted to fill a Ruth Bader Ginsburg seat. That all happened in what, two months? Less.
1: Less. And that's the precedent.
0: So Biden has more time than that till the midterms, because the fear is that if the Republicans take the Senate in the midterms, Mitch McConnell could just say, you know what, we're not going to be confirming any Supreme Court justices.
1: Yeah. And I mean, just just to be clear, I think that if somehow Republicans did run down the clock, that they would not confirm a a successor to Breyer in 2023. And Mitch McConnell has has intimated this. He has kind of slyly suggested that if Republicans retake the chamber and there's a Supreme Court vacancy, they just won't let Biden fill it. And I think that Steve Breyer listens to the news. He probably heard Mitch McConnell say that. And it wouldn't shock me if that was one of the reasons that he's announced this now.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to me that over the last year or so, Justice Breyer really made it his hobby horse that the court is not an instrument of politics. And yet he is retiring at a very politically expedient time. Like, as you say, he's giving Biden months and months to get this done, get a replacement in there. What do you make of that?
1: I think that when Breyer said that stuff, he was selling a book that he had written about the court being independent and nonpartisan, and it would not have made a lot of sense for him to, on the book tour... For him to say, I take it all back, the court's super partisan, and I am going to peace out under a Democrat because I'm terrified the Republicans are going to replace me with a crazy person. Seems like Breyer is a lot savvier than his book and his speeches would suggest. Seems like Breyer understands the fundamentally political nature of the Supreme Court as the nation's most powerful policymaking institution. Seems like all of that bluster about the court's independence was easy to set aside when Breyer had a long, hard think about what it would mean if he did not retire while Democrats still hold the Senate.
0: Yeah, I did notice this fiery statement from the executive director of Fix the Courts basically saying, listen, until we have term limits and a regularized process to get Supreme Court justices in there, this is just going to be a political job. And so Justice Breyer's retirement after 28 years of service is actually an argument for putting those things in place because (laughs) the way they put it, they said, much like his questions at oral argument, his service will have been twice as long as it should have been.
1: Yeah, I can't argue with that. I mean, term limits are so obviously necessary that when I discuss them, it feels gratuitous because no other country in the world does what we do or anything close to it. No other democracy gives their high court judges life tenure. It is a totally demented system that no rational person would devise today. It's just what the Constitution said because back then people croaked at like 50. And it seems pretty clear that, you know, when Democrats are just sort of paving the way for Democratic successors and Republicans are paving the way for Republican successors by timing their retirements this way, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to keep up the facade that each individual member of the court is not a political actor making political decisions to further their own political goals.
0: Mark Joseph Stern, thank you so much for the work you're doing. Of course. Bye, Mary. Thanks so much. Mark Joseph Stern covers the courts and the law for Slate. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Daniel Hewitt, Carmel Del Shad, Elena Schwartz, and Mary Wilson. We are led by Alicia Montgomery, and for just a couple more days by Allison Benedict. Allison once confided to us that she liked working with our team best out of everyone here at Slate. Rest assured, Allison, the feeling's mutual, and your secret's safe with us. I'm Mary Harris. You can find me on Twitter at Mary's Desk. My notifications are on. Tomorrow in the feed, you will find What Next TBD with my colleague Lizzie O'Leary. Make sure you check it out, and I'll see you back here on Monday. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently